0: We're actually beginning today a new series, and we talked about this for the last few weeks. So if you've been with us, you know um, what we're about to do. But we're going to be looking at the the first letter of John. It was it was a letter written to the church and uh, to Christians. And so if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible this morning and find that page eight forty four, if you didn't bring one of your own, where there's Bibles on the end of every aisle, and you can um, find that on page eight forty four. If you brought your own Bibles, you're gonna have to find it. It's kind of toward the very back. Um, of your Bibles, so, and we're just going to stick a finger for there now, uh, there for now, and um, talk a little bit about this book that we're about to study. So, a couple of things: I- I've been inviting you to pre-pre-read it, and I've been telling you for the last few weeks that it's not very long, and I was telling you that it's a page and a half. I realized that that uh, it's about three and a half pages, but it's really. A couple of pages in my mind um, and so if you've not read that you can really read it in a setting you can read it probably in 20 30 40 minutes easily depending on how fast you read I read pretty slowly myself so uh, I would invite you to be reading that we're going to be studying this did I say it was six weeks we're gonna be studying this until we're done studying it and we'll see where that leads us so 1st um, John page 844 as we talk about this book this morning I want to um do, do one thing that we always do when we come to Scripture and I, in your own private life and in our life as a community together. And even this morning we did it as, as Corey got up here this morning and we kind of were launching into worship this morning as we pray. And so, so would you join me in, in a word of prayer right now? Father God, we come before you singing songs of your glory and songs of your kingdom and your love. What, what a great... What a great word for us this morning of how much you love us. And today, Lord, uh, I pray that that by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would know that again. Not Not that you've ever stopped showing us your love, but we're so forgetful. We're so prone to forget what you've done for us. And so this morning, I pray that your gospel would be made known by your power. That, that you would work amongst your people as you will and you would bring glory to your name and you would draw us ever closer to your heart and to your kingdom. And we, uh, we love you and thank you. We thank you for Jesus and who he is in our lives, what he is doing, and, uh, and just in the whole world. So we give you glory and praise for that today. We pray this morning a prayer of Understanding, because your word is revealed to us by your power. And so we ask that you would open it to us and open our minds toward it and our hearts toward it, Lord. So we give you praise and glory and thanks today and we wait expectantly for you. Glorify your name. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So this book of 1 John we're going to be looking at, it's a pretty short, short book, but as you read it, there's a lot of stuff, but I want to kind of throw one idea out there as we, as we kick it off here. This, this book is all about your life in Christ. There's a lot of times that we'll talk in churches about accepting Jesus as your Savior. And there's a lot of times we'll talk about Jesus Christ. We'll just say it like that, Jesus Christ. But this book is really written to folks about the life that they have in Christ. I just say that to you because it's not so much that that John is writing to those who have heard the gospel of Jesus and believed it. And then trying to convince them that this is the way they ought to live. He is rather proclaiming a truth that's true for all disciples of Jesus, including you and me. And so, this whole letter is really written about the life that we have in Christ Jesus. This means that beyond maybe what we would have expected. And now I'm going to... Ask you to do a trick with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to um, put your finger right there in that part, and we're going to flip back to another book called John, and this is going to be the Gospel of John. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I may have the page number here as well. Yeah, John, is that the, where we're going? Yep. Close enough. Close enough. If you get to that page, 755, you'll be. Uh, Right around where we're going to be looking at. i want to show you something here. In, in, in the Gospel of John, um, these two books are interlinked by their author. And actually there's a second John and a third John as well, but we won't get into that. But th- this is the Gospel, the good news of, of John as well. And I want to read for you John 20, 30 and 31. Because this is what he's writing to. Now you'll see here, you'll notice that wherever your Bibles show you, you're at the very end of the Gospel of John here. And you'll see that in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John begins to say there is more to be had than what was recorded in this Gospel. This was the good news of Jesus Christ. It it sounds very much like Matthew, Mark, and Luke sounds. But this book is... is, um, Different Than the other three gospels But it's proclaiming the same truth But I want to read this with you Look at verse 30 J- This is John And he's saying Jesus did many other miraculous signs In the presence of his disciples Which are not recorded in this book Right? Now listen to what he says But these were written down That you may believe That Jesus is the Christ The Son of God And that by believing You may have life In his Name. So the entire Gospel of John was written for that very purpose, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, that means the Messiah, the one that was promised, that he is the Son of God, and because of that, that you might have life in his name. Now I mention that to you here, because the letter that John writes later to believers in Jesus Christ he writes to talk about this very thing, this life in Christ. Does that make sense? So the whole gospel is explaining the truth of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being the Messiah, being the Redeemer, the one who paid for our sins. And then he says there's this life that we have in Christ. And that's why it was written. So that's, that's one look back. Now, um, I want to ask... Uh, I want to answer this question too who wrote this book to us because it's important to know if you get a letter in the mail I don't know how you do your mail but the way I sort my mail is I see who it's from and if it's from someone that I know well then I will read that differently than if it's from a complete stranger if it's telemarketing I may not read it at all I might not telemarketing if if it's that mass marketing I might just go right in the garbage I may even open it up so it's important to know who we're hearing from. Who we're hearing from. I hope you didn't do what I just did because I closed. Go back to where we just were, that same page. There's this really cool story, right, at the end of the Gospel of John where the author identifies who he is, okay? And and I've called this story, and we don't have time to get into it this morning, but if you want to read a great story about another miracle of Jesus about the way he comes to disciples even after they believe even after they know him and shows himself to them I would encourage you to read from uh, the book of um, 21st chapter of the book of John I can't read it all right now but I just want to show you what happens here at the very end of this conversation I do want to give you an overview it's like they're out fishing all night the disciples and Jesus has has, um, died and and they're kind of back to business as usual and they look over and there's a guy on the beach and that's where we're going to pick up the story because they kind of look over and they see this guy on the beach and they realize that it's the Lord, right? Peter, one of the disciples, being Peter dives out of the boat and swims to the bank because he's a nut it's about 100 yards it says in the word and he swims the rest of the guys decided to go ahead and row the boat over there, right? and uh, hang out with Jesus for a little bit and they get there and they're talking to Jesus and this is where we pick up here In verse 20. After Jesus gives Peter some instructions, he says this. Peter turned back and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who was leaned back against Jesus at the Last Supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then here is verse 24. This one is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know his testimony is true. I'm going to read verse 25 as a bonus. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So, there's this story about Jesus appearing to the disciples, but it comes at the very end of the Gospel of John, and in that story, he identifies himself as the author. That this one, and look back with me, it says, the one whom Jesus loved. It says in verse... um, 20, he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Right? So he was in the boat with them. And if you want to look into the, who was in the boat, you can find that out in the 21st chapter of John. But this one that Jesus loved wrote the gospel of John. This one that Jesus loved wrote the, the epistle of John, the first letter of John that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks together. And so it's important that we would know that, that this is, this is the author of this book. I want to say also this morning that if you read the Gospels in, in the Word, and I hope that you do, John sounds different. As a matter of fact, if you read the epistles in your Bible, First John sounds different. It sounds different than any other epistle that was written. The gospel sounds different than any other gospel is recorded. And as I was reflecting on this text and this knowing God's love, it occurs to me that these books were written by someone who was radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When John writes this letter to the disciples of Jesus, he writes it as one who has been touched intimately, has been transformed by this good news. Now, it's not to say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke weren't transformed by the gospel. As a matter of fact, even Peter here says your life will never be the same. But it's to say that these books are different and they read differently. We hear them differently. As a matter of fact, the other gospels don't mention this character that Jesus loved so much. So if you can imagine... The author of the book of John was a guy who was so blown away by his experience with God that he had to write it down. He had to tell people about it. And obviously the other disciples knew who he was, but they didn't write down, you know, the one that Jesus loved so much. See, that's John talking about himself. That's his confession. Oh, I'm that guy. He's the one that wrote this letter to us. Next thing I want to kind of talk about here for a moment is who this letter is written to, because you might be thinking, well, you know, it's it's um it's not for me, and uh, it might not be, it might not be for you. But if you would turn in the back to the flip back to your where your finger is at, I hope it's still there, and it's not, you know, flip back there, look in the fifth chapter of John of First John, verse thirteen. This is kind of wrapping up the end of the letter, and we're going to get back to this, but I want to talk about this now as we get into the word, so you have some idea of, of who the letter is from and who the letter is to. And this is what he says in, in chapter five, verse 13. "I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God." right? So that's who it's for, so that you may have so that you may know that you have eternal life." So the letter is written to those who believe in the son of God so right away I'm thinking so this letter isn't for everybody because I can tell you for a fact there are a lot of people who don't believe that Jesus, the Christ that Jesus, the Messiah that Jesus of Nazareth that that he is the son of God and that he is the Messiah and the redeemer of all creation and therefore if you happen to be in that camp where you don't believe that this book isn't really written to you now, does it mean you can't learn from this book? No, not at all. But this book is really written to those who believe in Jesus' name. The good news is, it's as simple as believing it. It's as simple as taking him at his word. And so, this book was written with that, that purpose in mind, but to that audience, to those folks who believe in Jesus Christ. A couple more things, and then we're going to get into the opening of the, of the book this morning. So why write this book at all? I mean, he has written this gospel that's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, the gospel of John is so good that some people have packaged that bo- gospel all by itself to give away to people who don't know Jesus. And so I would say that if you're in that camp where you say, I don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, here's the a, here's a next step for you. Go and just read the gospel of John. I come and tell you these things as one who's been changed by the word of God. Who have has witnessed God's transforming power through his word and he can do it for you, read it. Read the word. Don't don't challenge your really bad Christian friends or don't challenge the crazy people on TV or don't challenge God. Read his word. And if God doesn't open the scripture to your heart, your heart to the scripture, well. But he will. So that's the next step for you is to read the gospel. John, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, read the gospel and hear what it has to say to you. There's no harm in that. So why write this letter then? If, if the gospel is written that people might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why write this one? And I'm going to run through these real quick, and you can kind of follow along if you'd like to. The first is that, and we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning, but these are explicit statements he makes in this letter. Verse, chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. We write this... To make our joy complete. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. So the first reason that John writes this letter is to have overflowing joy in Jesus Christ. Overflowing joy. That's just this exuberance. He can't wait to write this letter. He's eager to write this letter. And this letter is written that their joy may be complete the second thing is in the, it's in chapter 2 verse 1 he says this I write this to you so that you will not sin so John's writing with a purpose he's writing so we might not sin and when we sin we sin against God and one another so this is the second reason he writes this book I write that you may not that you may not sin and the third we find and we were just there if you flip one page back again to uh, chapter 5 verse 13 he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's, that's those of us who believe. So that you may know you have eternal life. So that's the three purposes that he records in this letter. And that's important. Because if you're going to write a letter. And, and you're going to say why you wrote it. What you say matters. Like, other people might read your letter and go, well, he wrote that for this other purpose. You know, if you've explicitly stated why you wrote the letter, that's really important. And it should be considered first as we read The word today so that we are their joy may be filled that they may not that we may not sin and that we may know we have eternal life the three purposes of the letter that john writes to the believers in jesus christ so all that we're going to now get into the beginning the opening verses of this word today and there's so much to unpack and and uh, we're just going to hear what god has to say to us from his word so read with me if you would chapter one verse one That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So that's just what we're going to talk about today. Just those opening words of John. By the way, we were, we were studying this Wednesday morning a little bit. And if you want to, again, read the Gospel of John, the opening words, there's a lot of symmetry there. One of the reasons that we believe this is the same author that wrote the Gospel of John He's got this grand narrative, this grand sweep. And and he says, that which was from the beginning. Now, I do want to point out to you this morning that there were those, if you can believe this, when John wrote this letter, there were those who would actually say that Jesus wasn't important. There were those who would say that Jesus was really important, but he was just a man. There were those who would say that Jesus is really important, but he wasn't a man at all. He was God that somehow tricked us into thinking he was a man. And so in the middle of this conversation, John sets out, now he's got some people who don't believe, some people who do believe, uh, and, and they believe one thing or the other, and not many people who are believing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And into this context, he writes this letter, and he begins it by saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you, concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. So it's this idea that he's speaking to folks who may not necessarily believe the gospel. There's a lot of problems that he's trying to address in the text. And he begins by saying that we're going to testify to you about something which was from the beginning. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of John starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So he's talking about something that is before you, anything ever existed. It's almost impossible to realize the truth of what he's proclaiming about this Word of life. He says, what we proclaim to you is from the beginning, that this Jesus that you saw didn't just start when Mary had him. You know, some of those who would believe that Jesus was just a man, what they said about Jesus was this. They said, okay, so Jesus was born. We got that. And this guy, Joseph, and Mary had this baby. And he was, but then when the Holy Spirit came and descended on him at his baptism, that's when he became God. And John says, no, this word, this, what is it? Let's read the text. Word of life was from the beginning That's a long time ago. And this word existed from that time. This Jesus was a Jesus that was there in the beginning with the Father and the Spirit in the created order. Matter of fact, all of this goes back to Genesis. He's proclaiming eternal truths to the disciples of Jesus. Jesus. And so he says, we have to be on guard against that. That which we proclaim is from the beginning, we have heard it. Now, I'm going to get into this next part here. Which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. So not only does it say this all starts so far ago, but he says right now, we have experienced the reality of Jesus in our life. Is that true? Is that still true? There are even folks now that would say, well, yeah, that was true then, but not now. That was Jesus then, but not now. And John says, no. What started at the beginning of the creation of all things that God has been proclaiming from the beginning, the promises that we've been talking about here, is being manifest, being made reality in this person of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because he is God from the beginning. This Jesus isn't an afterthought. That helps us get over our condition in life. The gospel matters to you. The good news matters to you. It's an eternal matter. So this proclamation, he starts by saying that Jesus is God. Absolutely. The second thing, wait a minute. Our eyes have seen, our hands have touched. We have looked at it. Right? It means that they witnessed this firsthand. You know, the first gospel says, these were written down by the one that Jesus loved. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk later in the service about this disciple's intimacy with Jesus at the Last Supper. It's a profound thing. So this wasn't just God from the beginning and someone that somehow appeared to be a man, but Jesus was fully man. He had touched him. He had walked with him. He had seen him wake and sleep and eat and run off and pray and come back. And he'd seen miracles. And he'd seen ordinary things. That this Jesus wasn't just God. But he was fully man. And this is what we proclaim to you concerning this word of life. Right? This little ghost that begins everything. Verse 2. He says, this life appeared and we have seen it with our eyes. And we testified to it. And we proclaim to you now the eternal life. That's so now. He starts, it started back there. It's presently with us. And we're proclaiming that it's forever. That this life, this word of life is forever. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And so this begins this journey of this thing we call church. This thing we call church isn't a building. This thing we call church is those who are called out by God to gather in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. And it's made up of people like you and me. We call ourselves disciples. And so that's what what he's writing to is to, to complete this fellowship with one another. He says one last thing here. He says, this fellowship that we want to have with you, we have it with God the Father and Jesus Christ, his son. That they are intimately involved with him. Remember who wrote this? The one whom Jesus loved. Right? So they're saying, we're in relationship with the Father, but we're proclaiming this eternal life that we might be in relationship with you. That's the purpose of their writing. And then they say, lastly, we write this that our joy may be complete. So you go, great, I got it. Introduction to the book, understand that, check. A lot of old ancient stuff, got it, check. What does it mean to you and I? I'll tell you the greatest thing that I love about the gospel of John and about the the letters of, of John is this idea that he is a beloved disciple. You know, the word says that we love because God first loved us, right? When we were unlovable, God loved us. And that's good news. That means that if if you are far from God today, that God loves you anyway. That God loves you right where you are. And it's irresistible, this love. He pours it out for you. And so, the first thing, and you'll see if you grab the engagement sheet this morning, I have a few of these these blanks today for you, which if you know me, that's, that's a pretty rare occurrence right there. The first one is this, that we are beloved that you and I are beloved by God the reason that the gospel of John is so profound and such a different read than the other gospels is this because it's about us that we're the ones who God loves so much the fact that it doesn't ever identify the exact author is beautiful because it lets us become part of the story The, the idea of beloved, it's kind of a weird word. We don't use it, but it just means being loved. It just means that there's a fact. It's, it's not a theory that God loves you. It's a fact that God loves you. It's a state that you're in, that you are loved by God, and you can't get away from it. It's his love for you. And so this idea that he writes, he's serious about it. I'll tell you how serious the author of the Gospel of John is about it. He mentions the idea of God's love to you and to me 27 times. We talked about that before in here. 27 times in the whole Gospel of John. Now, if you look through, that's a pretty pretty large book. He mentions it 17 times in First John. That you are loved by God. That you are loved by God. That you are loved by God. And then he makes that the basis for everything else in your life. You want to know what you should do with that other situation? The first thing you have to understand is you're loved by God. You want to know how you should love a brother or a sister? You've got to first know that you're loved by God. Everything that he talks about in this letter is circling around the idea of God's love. Why? Because he's experienced that firsthand. And he tells us the same is true for those Jesus loves, which is all of us. Explicitly. Six times in the book of 1 John, he records beloved, the word, state, fact, who you are, beloved, who I am, beloved of God. 1 John 2, 7. Beloved, I am not writing a new command to you. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are children of God now. 1 John 3, 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, First John 4, 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit that comes teaching you. 1 John 4.7, Beloved, let us love each other. And then finally, in 1 John 4.11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, boy, here comes the gospel, then we ought to love each other. Hmm. This beloved state that God pours over us, this true for John and true for us, is not just about us and God, but it's about us and one another. It's about this discipleship of learning to love one another. And I'll tell you that I think we're really bad at it. (laughs) We need some help with this. And Jesus provides what we need in our discipleship, that we could learn to love one another more fully. The second thing, why does this matter to me, is because these early disciples, it's so easy to put them up on a pedestal to say I'm not like that, to say you don't know me, you don't know my past, you don't know who I am, you don't know where I've been, and we talked about this last week with the Great Commission from the Gospel of Matthew. He doesn't call us to talk about things we don't know about. We are called to proclaim what we know. Do you see that in the opening? What John wrote to the early Christians about, he didn't just start making stuff up. He didn't just say, well, I've heard a theory. He said, wait a minute. We're going to talk about things that we've seen, that we've touched, that we've looked at. You know, why does it say seen and looked at in the same sentence? That's kind of weird, isn't it? These are things that they've examined. They've taken time. They've pondered them. They've turned them around. They've wrestled with it. And that's what they're going to proclaim. And lastly, the things that they have touched. The things that they've really seen work. This is what they proclaim. And the good news about a proclamation of a gospel like that is that you can proclaim what you know. Even if you, even if you don't know everything right now. You can still say I don't know everything but I know this God loves you. You can say I don't know everything but I know I've seen a miracle in my life. I don't have all the answers but I know somebody who does. Your fight isn't with me, it's with God. If you want to run around and proclaim your whole life that God doesn't exist that's your battle with God. That doesn't involve me. I only testify to what I know. And this becomes the way that we witness to the world. This is the way that this very powerful book that John wrote witnesses to us. And it's going to be powerful stuff in this letter. I would encourage you again, if you've not started reading this book, just start reading it through. It's amazing what's in this word for us. So we proclaim only what we know and I would even say let's be disciplined in that and if we don't know let's just say I don't know. That's a good way to start. I don't know how that works. I don't understand that exactly. The last thing is this that John makes this proclamation. Why? So that He says, our joy might be complete. And I'll tell you something really interesting about the text here. This fulfilling of joy is not only our joy. Because in the actual text, there are transcripts that they recorded that is your joy. And you go, oh boy, so they didn't get exactly right. Listen, this gospel is proclaimed isn't just for our joy that we could be boy, we got to proclaim the gospel again, but it is that. But it's for the joy of others who hear it. It's for their joy. I don't know how you feel, but I can tell you that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am absolutely 100% blown away unbelievably humbled and unbelievably overwhelmed by those who dared to share the gospel with me. I can tell you that people who share the gospel with someone else, the good news they've seen, they've heard, they've touched, don't always get received with a warm welcome. I wasn't giving anybody high fives or hugs at the end of the conversation often. But this proclamation came manifest in my joy and in their joy. And so whenever we do this, when we testify to what we know, when we know we're loved by God, to to do this last step makes our joy complete. It makes us filled to the top with joy. That means that if if we're all the way there and we're not doing that third thing, we're not sharing it with someone else. We're not being filled with With all the joy that God has for us. What's more tragic is we're not filled with, we're not allowing others to be filled with all the joy that God has for them. Hmm. Last thought for the day. I'm going to flip back here. We're going to do, uh, we're going to have communion together. Communion actually, interestingly, is koinonia. And it's that same idea of fellowship when he says, I write this that you can have fellowship. It's it's communion. That's for the same word that they can share. it. It's not euchristo, but it's being bonded together, drawing together. I want to invite you today to the table of Jesus Christ to receive not something that's about family Bible church, not something that we've prayed special prayers over, but something that that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, instituted 2,000 years ago to disciples around the table. And as we prepare our hearts to come and receive communion today, I want you to hear, hear who you are. At the Last Supper, when he was gathered on the table with his, his disciples, Jesus said this. The word says, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified to them, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And all of his disciples sat there at the table around him at this Passover feast. And they looked at one another, and they were at a complete loss to know which of them it would be. But one of them the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him at the table Simon Peter you know Peter the crazy guy who jumped out of the boat he motioned to the disciple who sat next to Jesus and he said ask him which one he means and in verse 25 the text says that leaning back against Jesus this disciple whom Jesus loved said, Lord, who is it? Now, we do know, history tells us, the disciple who betrayed Jesus at the table. But the gospel is that he died for everybody. And uh, today, I believe with every fiber of my being, that if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this table is for you. That when we come today to the table of Jesus Christ, you know what it says? It says that when he broke the bread at the table, he gave thanks to God. The word says that um, it was for the joy of it all, that he did it for us. When you come to this table today as one who has believed the gospel of Jesus, I'm going to invite you to come as a beloved. I'm going to invite you to come as one who God has paid a ridiculous price for you and for me, that we could be reclining here with him. Let's pray. Father, today we come before you at that same table with those same guys who so long ago you gathered in your name. And Lord, there are times on that table that we don't know sometimes where we stand. We don't know if we're bringing glory to your name. But today, Lord, we come as one who is loved by you. We come today, Jesus, to your table as one for whom you've paid the price that could not be paid by anybody else. So today, first and foremost, we come remembering how much you love us, and and I, I thank you for that love, Father, today. May your Holy Spirit, who knows all things, who sees all hearts, Intercede today that we could receive your communion. That we could be intimately involved with you and the Father. And that we could begin to learn to love each other. We pray these prayers in the hope of the one who invited us to the table. And we ask today that you would save us. In Jesus' name, amen.